0: Chapter Thirty Eight of Threads of Gray and Gold. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Threads of Gray and Gold by Myrtle Reed. Chapter Thirty Eight One Woman's Solution of the Servant Problem being a professional woman my requirements in the way of a housemaid were rather special while at times i can superintend my small household and direct my domestic affairs there are long periods during which i must have absolute quiet untroubled by doorbell telephone or the remnants of roast beef there are two of us in a modern six-room apartment in a city where the servant problem has forced a large and ever-increasing percentage of the population into small flats we have late breakfasts late dinners a great deal of company and an amount of washing both house and personal which is best described as unholy five or six people often drop by informally and unexpectedly for the evening which means of course a midnight spread and an enormous pile of dishes to be washed in the morning there are however some advantages connected with the situation we have a laundress besides the maid we have a twelve o'clock breakfast on sunday instead of a dinner getting the cold lunch ourselves in the evening thus giving the girl a long afternoon and evening and we are away from home a great deal often staying weeks at a time the eternal good wages to right party of the advertisements was our inducement also but apparently there were no right parties the previous incumbent, having departed in a fit of temper at half an hour's notice, and left me, so to speak, in the air, with dinner guests on the horizon a day ahead, I betook myself to an intelligence office, where, strangely enough, there seems to be no intelligence, and grasped the first chance of relief nothing more unpromising could possibly be imagined the new maid was sad ugly of countenance far from strong physically and in every way hopeless and depressing she listened unemotionally to my glowing description of the situation finally she said i tink i try it she came looked us over worked a part of a week and announced she couldn't stay i can't feel like home here she said i am not satisfied "'She had been in her last place for three years "'and left because, mys lady, she go to Europe. "'I persuaded her to try it for a while longer "'and gave her an extra afternoon or two off, "'realizing that she must be homesick. "'After keeping us on tender hooks for two weeks, "'she sent for her trunk. "'I discovered that she was a fine laundress, "'carefully washing and ironing the things "'which were too fine to go into the regular wash, "'a most excellent cook.' her kitchen and pantry were at all times immaculate she had no followers and few friends meals were ready on the stroke of the hour and she had the gift of management offset to this was a furious temper an atmosphere of gloom and depression which permeated the house and made us feel funereal impertinence of a quality difficult to endure and the callous unfeeling almost inhuman characteristics which often belong in high degree to the swedes for weeks i debated with myself whether or not i could stand it to have her in the house i have spent an hour on my own back porch when i should have been at work because i was afraid to pass through the room which she happened to be cleaning times without number a crisp muffin or a pot of perfect coffee has made me postpone speaking the fateful words which would have separated us she sighed and groaned and wept at her work, worried about it, and was a fiend incarnate if either of us was five minutes late for dinner. We often hurried through the evening meal so as to leave her free for her evening out, even though I had long since told her not to wash the dishes after dinner, but to pile them neatly in the sink and leave them until morning. Before long, however, the strictly human side of the problem began to interest me. I had cherished lifelong theories in regard to the brotherhood of man and the uplifting power of personal influence. I had at times been tempted to try settlement work, and here I had the settlement subject in my own kitchen. There was not a suggestion of fault with the girl's work. She kept her part of the contract and did it well. But across the wall between us she glared at and hated me but deliberately I set to work in defense of my theory. I ignored the impertinence and seemingly did not hear the crash of dishes and the banging of doors. When it came to an issue, I said calmly, though my soul quaked within me, you are not here to tell me what you will do and what you won't. You are here to carry out my orders, and when you cannot, it is time for you to go if she asked me a question about her work which i could not answer off-hand i secretly consulted a standard cookbook and later gave her the desired information airily i taught her to cook many of the things which i could cook well and imbued her with a sort of sneaking respect for my knowledge throughout i treated her with the perfect courtesy which one lady accords to another ignoring the impertinence i took pains to say please and thank you many a time i bit my lips tightly against my own rising rage and afterward in calmness recognized a superior opportunity for self-discipline for three or four months while the beautiful theory wavered in the balance we fought not outwardly but beneath the surface daily i meditated a summary discharge dissuaded only by an immaculate house and perfectly cooked breakfasts and dinners I still cherished a lingering belief in personal influence in spite of the wall which reared itself between us. A small gray kitten with wobbly legs and an infantile mew made the first breach in the wall. She took care of it, loved it, petted it, and began to smile semi-occasionally. She, too, said please and thank you. My husband suggested that we order ten kittens, but I let the good work go on with one for the time being. Gradually I learned that the immovable exterior was a natural protection against an abnormal sensitiveness both to praise and blame. Besides the cat, she had two other weak spots, an unswerving devotion to a widowed sister with two children, whom she partially supported, and a love for flowers almost pathetic as i could without seeming to make a point of it i sent things to the sister and the children partially worn curtains bits of ribbon little toys and the like i made her room as pretty and dainty as my own though the furnishings were not so expensive and gave her a potted plant in a brass jar when flowers were sent to me i gave her a few for the vase in her room she began to say we instead of you she spoke of our spoons and our table linen she asked what shall we do about this or that what shall we have for dinner instead of what do you want she began to laugh when she played with the kitten and even to sing at her work when she did well i praised her as i had all along but instead of saying is that so when i remarked that the muffins were delicious or the dessert a great success her face began to light up and a smile take the place of the impersonal comment THE FURIOUS TEMPER BEGAN TO WANE, OR AT LEAST TO BE UNDER BETTER CONTROL. GUESTS OCCASIONALLY inquired, WHAT HAVE YOU DONE TO THAT MAID OF YOURS? FIVE TIMES WE HAVE LEFT HER, FOR ONE OR TWO MONTHS AT A TIME, ON FULL SALARY, WITH UNLIMITED CREDIT AT THE GROCERY, AND WITH FROM FIFTY TO ONE HUNDRED DOLLARS IN CASH. DURING THE INTERVALS WE HEARD NOTHING FROM HER we have returned each time to an immaculate house a smiling maid a perfectly cooked and nicely served meal and an account correct to the penny with vouchers to show for it of the sum with which she had been entrusted i noticed each time a vast pride in the fact that she had been so trusted and from this developed a gratifying loyalty to the establishment i had told her once to ask her sister and children to spend the day with her while we were gone it seems that the children were noisy and the lady in the apartment below us came up to object an altercation ensued ending with a threat from the lady downstairs to tell mrs m when she came home annie told me herself with flashing eyes and shaking hands i said calmly the children must have been noisy or she would not have complained you are used to them and besides it would sound worse downstairs than up here but it doesn't amount to anything for i had told you you could have the children here and if i hadn't been able to trust you i wouldn't have left you thus the troubled waters were calm the crucial test of her qualities came when I entered upon a long period of exhaustive effort. The first day we both had a hard time, as her highly specialized Baptist conscience would not permit her to say I was not at home when I was merely writing a book. After she thoroughly understood that I was not to be disturbed unless the house took fire, further quiet being ensured by disconnecting the doorbell and muffling the telephone, things went swimmingly. Annie, I said, i want you to run this house until i get through with my book here is a hundred dollars to start with don't let anybody disturb me she took it with a smile and a cheerful all right from that moment to the end i had even less care than i should have had in a well-equipped hotel not a sound penetrated my solitude if i went out for a drink of water she did not speak to me we had delicious dinners and dainty breakfasts which might have waited for us but we never waited a moment for them she paid herself regularly every monday morning keeping all receipts sent out my husband's laundry kept a strict list of it mended our clothes managed our household as economically as i myself could have done it and best of all insured me from any sort of interruption with a sort of fierce loyalty which is beyond any money value once i overheard a colloquy at my front door which was briefly and decisively terminated thus I already tell you dat you not see her. She says to me, Annie, you keep those people off from me, and I keep them off. I have never known what dear friend was thus turned away from my inhospitable door. Fully appreciating my blessings, the night I finished my work, I went into the kitchen with a crisp new five-dollar bill. Annie, I said, here is a little extra money for you. You've been so nice about the house while I've been busy.' she opened her eyes wide and stared you don't have to do dat she said i know i don't i laughed but i like to do it you don't have to do dat she repeated i like doing the housekeeping i know i said again and i like to do this you've done lots of things for me you didn't have to do why shouldn't i do something for you at that she took it offering me a rough wet hand which i took gravely thank you she said and tears rolled down her cheeks you've earned it i assured her and you deserve it and i'm very glad i can give it to you from that hour she has been welded to me in a bond which i fondly hope is indestructible she laughs and sings at her work pets her beloved kitten and diffuses through my six rooms the atmosphere of good cheer she looks after me anticipates my wishes and dedicates to me a continual loyal service which has no equivalent in dollars and cents she asked me hesitatingly if she might not get some one to fill her place for three months while she went back to sweden i didn't like the idea but i recognized her well-defined right i not go she said if you not want me to i tell my sister that i want to stay with mrs m until she send me away i knew she would have to go some time before she settled down to perpetual residence in an alien land so i bade her godspeed she secured the substitute and instructed her, arranged the matter of wages, and vouched for her honesty, but not for her work. Before she left the city, I found that the substitute was hopelessly incompetent and stupid. When Annie came to say good-bye to me, I told her about the new girl. She broke down and wept. I sorry I try to go, she sobbed. I tell my sister there is nobody what can take care of Mrs. M. like I do. I was quite willing to agree with her, but I managed to dry her tears. Discovering that she expected to spend two nights in a day-coach, and remembering one dreadful night when I could get no berth, I gave her the money for a sleeping-car ticket both ways, as a farewell gift. The tears broke forth afresh. You've been so good to me and to my sister, she sobbed. I can never forget that. Cheer up, I answered, wiping the mist from my own eyes. Go on and have the best time you ever had in your life, and don't worry about me. I'll get along somehow. And if you need money while you are away, write to me and I'll send you whatever you need. We'll fix it up afterward. Once again she looked at me, with the strangest look I have ever seen on a human face. Thank you, she said slowly. There is not many ladies would say that perhaps not i replied but remember annie i can trust you yes she cried her face illumined by some great inward light you can trust me i do not think she loves us yet but i believe in time she will the day the new girl came i happened to overhear a much valued reference to myself honestly said she i've been here more than one year and i never hear a wrong word between him and her nor between her and me it's just wonderful i hasn't been see anything like it since i been in this country is it so wonderful i asked myself as i stole away my own heart aglow with the consciousness of a moral victory and is the lack of self-control and human kindness at the bottom of the american servant problem are we women such children that we cannot deal wisely with our intellectual inferiors and more than all I had given her, I realized then for the first time, was the power of self-discipline and self-control which she, all unknowingly, had developed in me. I have not ceased the treatment, even though the patient is nearly well. It costs me nothing to praise her when she deserves it, to take an occasional friend into her immaculate kitchen, and to show the shiny white pantry shelves, without papers, while she blushes and smiles with pleasure." it costs me nothing to see that she overhears me while i tell a friend over the telephone how capable she has been during the stress of my work or how clean the house is when we come home after a long absence it costs me nothing to send her out for a walk or a visit to a nearby friend on the afternoons when her work is finished and i am to be at home nothing to call her attention to a beautiful sunset or a perfect day or to tell her some amusing story that her simple mind can appreciate it cost me nothing to tell her how well she looks in her cap and apron, only I call the cap a hair bow, nor that one of the guests said she made the best cake she had ever eaten in her life. It cost me little to give her a pretty hat-pin, or some other girlish trifle at Easter, to bring her some souvenir of our travels, to give her a fresh ribbon for her belt from my boat, or some little toy for the children. It means only a thought to say when she goes out, Goodbye, have a good time, or to say when I go out, Goodbye, be good. It means little to me to tell her how much my husband or our guests have enjoyed the dinner, or to have him go into the kitchen sometimes while she is surrounded by a mountain of dishes with a cheery word and a fifty-cent piece. It isn't much out of my way to do a bit of shopping for her when I am shopping for myself and no trouble at all to plan for her new gowns or to tell her that her new hat is very pretty and becoming. When her temper gets the better of her these days, I can laugh her out of it. To think, I said once, of a fine, capable girl like you flying into a rage because someone has borrowed your clothesline without asking for it. The clouds vanished with a smile. That is is funny of me, she said when her work goes wrong as of course it does sometimes though rarely and she is worrying for fear i shall be displeased i say never mind annie things don't always go right for any of us don't worry about it but be careful next time it has cost me time and effort and money and an infinite amount of patience and tact not to mention steady warfare with myself but in return what have i a housemaid as near perfect perhaps as they can ever be on this faulty earth permanently in my service as i hope and believe if any one offers her higher wages, I shall meet the bid, for she is worth as much to me as she can be to any one else. Besides giving me superior service, she has done me a vast amount of good in furnishing me the needed material for the development of my character. On her own ground, she respects my superior knowledge. Once or twice I have heard her say of some friend, Her's lady, she knows nothing at all about the housekeeping. No, nothing at all. The airy contempt of the tone is quite impossible to describe. A neighbor whom she assisted in a time of domestic stress during my absence told me amusedly of her reception in her own kitchen. "'You don't have to come all de time to de kitchen to tell me,' remarked Annie. "'Doesn't Mrs. M. do that?' queried my neighbor lightly. "'I should say not,' returned the capable one indignantly. "'She never comes in de kitchen, and she know, too.' Well, that was not literally true, because I do go into my kitchen if I want to, and cook there if I like, I make a point of not intruding. She knows what she is to do, and I leave her to do it, in peace and comfort. Briefly summarized, the solution from my point of view is this. Know her work yourself, down to the last detail. Pay the wages which other people would be glad to pay for the same service. Keep your temper, and in the face of everything, be kind. Remember that housework is hard work, that it never stays done, that a meal which it takes half a day to prepare is disposed of in half an hour. Remember, too, that it requires much intelligence and good judgment to be a good cook, and that daily tasks lack inspiration. The hardest part of housework must be done at a time when many other people are free for rest and enjoyment, and it carries with it a social bar, sinister when it is done for money. THE WOMAN WHO DOES IT FOR HER BOARD AND CLOTHES AND IN HER OWN KITCHEN DOES NOT NECESSARILY LOSE caste. BUT DOING IT FOR A HIGHER WAGE IN ANOTHER'S KITCHEN MAKES ONE ALMOST AN OUTCAST. STRANGE AND UNREASONABLE, BUT TRUE. IT WAS AT MY OWN SUGGESTION THAT SHE BEGAN TO LEAVE THE DISHES PILED UP IN THE SINK UNTIL MORNING. WHEN THE ROOM IS OTHERWISE IMMACULATE, A TRAY OF NEATLY PILED PLATES, EVEN IF UNWASHED, DOES NOT DISTURB MY AESTHETIC SENSE ordinarily she is free for the evening at half-past seven or a quarter of eight always by eight her evenings are hers not mine unless i pay her extra as i always do a dollar or so counts for nothing in the expense of an entertainment and she both earns and deserves the extra wage if i am to entertain twenty or thirty people the house will hold no more and i cannot ask more than ten to dinner i consult with her decide upon the menu tell her that she can have all the help she needs and go my ways in peace i can order the flowers decorate the table put on my best gown and receive my guests unwearied with an easy mind when i am not expecting guests i can leave the house immediately after breakfast without a word about dinner and return to the right sort of meal at seven o'clock bringing a guest or two with me if i telephone first i can work for six weeks or two months in a seclusion as perfect as i could have in the sahara desert and my household meanwhile will move as if on greased skids i can go away for two months and hear nothing from her and yet know that everything is all right at home i think no more about it so far as responsibility is concerned when i am traveling than as if i had no home at all when we leave the apartment alone in the evening we turn on most of the lights being assured by the police that burglars will never molest a brilliantly illuminated house the morose countenance of my ugly maid has subtly changed it radiates in its own way beauty and good cheer her harsh voice is gentle, her manner is kind, her tastes are becoming refined, and her ways are those of a lady. My friends and neighbors continually allude to the transformation as a miracle. The janitor remarked, in a burst of confidence, that he never saw anybody change so. He reckoned, too, that it must be the folks she lives with. Annie herself, conscious of a change, recently said complacently, I guess I was an awful crank when I first come here. And so it happens that the highest satisfaction is connected with the beautiful theory, triumphantly proven now against heavy odds. Whatever else I may have done, I have taught one woman the workman's pride in her work, shown her where true happiness lies, and set her feet firmly on the path of right and joyous living. End of chapter 38 One Woman's Solution of the Servant Problem Read for you by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, in December 2016.